For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Barnyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Maroon Friday edition of The Yard. Hope things are well where you are today. Hope it's payday for you. Maybe it is for you bi-weekly wage earners and uh, weekly wage earners. Maybe today is the big day. Hope that it is. Hope you're able to get out and go do some good things. Let me encourage you, as always, get that honey-do list done this weekend. We're going to have some college football tomorrow. Memory serves me correct. We'll get a Power 5 game to kick it off. What is it, Nebraska and Illinois? You know, usually you get, you know, San Jose State versus, you know, East Appalachian Tech. And we they call it week zero, which is ridiculous. But um, we get some college football tomorrow. And even though it's not Mississippi State football, and many of you will be watching, I will be watching. I'm eager to see some football. The games that really count. You know, there's been some preseason football, and that, that's fun, too. It kind of whets appetite a little bit. But I'm ready to see some people play for real. This time next week, we'll be previewing the first week of Southeastern Conference football, even though we won't have uh, conference games. We'll be getting ready to see the Bulldogs play Louisiana Tech. It's going to be a lot of fun. Looking forward to that. Also of note, too, there is uh, expected to be a tropical issue in the state of Mississippi. So all you guys on the Gulf Coast, guys and gals down there, please be careful. Please take necessary precautions. Don't put yourself at risk. And we should get some rain up here uh, early to midweek. Now, we have an incredible grounds crew at Mississippi State, perhaps the best in the world. So the field will be ready to go come Saturday, assuming the rain gets out of here when they expect it to. But so, you know, it's going to be wet for a couple days. Now, we are not able to go to Mississippi State football practices now. And once we get into um, into season, we'll be able to go for, you know, 20 minutes or so, watch the first few periods of practice. We did not have any practice access this week. We did, however, get a chance to speak to Mike Leach on Thursday. Our next media opportunity is Mike Leach on Monday as we kind of look ahead to Louisiana Tech. So if you have been looking for, you know, practice reports or any player interviews – you know, the last couple of days, they've been in few and far, you know, supply because of the fact that we just hadn't had access. We have run everything, every interview we've had, we've run for free over on jeanspage.com. You can go check it out. If you're not a subscriber, you darn well should be. But be that as it may, it's uh, it's been an interesting week. A lot of things going on. We're going to get into some of the things that Mike Leach talked about. We're going to look ahead at some other things that are going on around the conference. We've got another MSU great that we're going to profile later in the show. Also going to take a look ahead at Kentucky. 
I'm not on the Kentucky bandwagon, and I'm one of those kind of people that I, I don't understand it. Every year, it's like, and it's really the SEC East media for the most part. You know, because I think in the West, we've got a pretty well-established pecking order. You know, every so often, you know, State, Ole Miss, or Arkansas, somebody will kind of jump up there. But by and large, I think we kind of know, you know, who we expect to win. In the East, though, it's it's like every year, every year in the preseason, it's like, oh, Kentucky's going to do this, Kentucky's going to do that. And then Kentucky doesn't do it. And then the next year, it's like rinse and repeat. It's kind of like Ole Miss in baseball. At least Ole Miss wins something every now and again in baseball. Yeah, but Kentucky has been uh, pretty average for the better part of, I don't know, 20 years or more. But every year, like I, I saw something yesterday, somebody said they were going to go 10-2 and two in a regular season. I, I think to myself, you know, listen, if that's true, you might as well you know, go on to Vegas because there is nothing to support that contention. 10-2, and two, are you kidding me? We're going to break it down a little bit in more detail a little bit later in the show. Very excited about the fact that we're getting a chance to watch college football, though. Really, really excited. So, a lot to talk about today. A cool top ten list. I promise you guys a female rocker. Many people reached out thinking they knew. Uh, I, don't, I don't know that anybody guessed it correctly. I want to thank you guys for your contributions for the top ten list. Uh, got a couple things we're going to work on next week. Even going to do, um, going to do some, some Christian music one day next week. Probably on Monday. One of my favorite contemporary Christian groups. I have every album of theirs. I even got the solo albums, if that gives you any uh, any tips there. I want to thank our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors of this show, man. Really love those folks. And you will too. You know, there's so many different places you can go to spend your hard-earned cash to have a night out with friends and family. I submit to you, none better than Bulldog Burger Company. There's something for everybody there. That's the thing about it. Like, you hear Bulldog Burger and say, well, you know, I don't know if I'm in the mood for a burger. That's okay. Everybody else is because a great restaurant-quality hamburger is one of the great delicacies in life. But you can go have that BLT salad, which is one of my favorites. You can have the sweet heat chicken sandwich. There's a lot of things to choose from there. There's something for everybody. Get the spring rolls. That is for everybody. Everybody loves the spring rolls. Not much better than that. And I think the wings are kind of sneaky good there, too. I don't, I don't know if you go there for wings, but while you're there, maybe you just want to kind of change it up a little bit. You'll, you'll be happy. The, the, the flavor is really good. I love it. You will, too. Great portions, great food, great prices, great service. Part of a great family of restaurants that have served the Golden Triangle for many, many years. Now, three locations of Bulldog Burger Company to serve you. Right here on University Drive in Stark Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and then a the brand new one. Lake Harbor Drive in Ridgeland, and I tell you, the reviews have been great. I get people every day, just about every – I would say five times a week. Somebody said, hey, Steve, we went and checked out Bulldog Burger Company there in Ridgeland. Really glad they're in our neck of the woods. And I am too. They're building an empire. How about that? Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, so it's a surprise to nobody. Mike Leach said on Thursday, if we played right now, Will Rogers would be your quarterback. Now – I firmly believe that the, quote, quarterback competition really kind of ended when Jack Abraham, former Southern Miss quarterback, was basically deemed unavailable to practice. Now, that's not throwing any shade at chance leverage. That's not what I'm trying to suggest. But I think, you know, with his size and, uh, you know, he, he, I don't know that he would have been the number two if Abraham had been available. 
And I think Abraham is a guy that was capable of winning the job that could have pushed Will a little bit more. And that's not to say that Will, in any respect, has kind of you know slowed down or anything or slacked off. I think he's had a good camp. And so Leach says that. There's really no you know debate about it. I, mean, I think it's Will easily. And I've shared that with you guys on the show. Yeah, I think a lot of times Leach is just kind of talking to uh, to his guys through the media a little bit. And, and, and also, too, you know, we go back to conversation that I had with some of our Washington State media folks that work for our, our fine network at 247 Sports. They prepared me. They said, hey, listen, no matter who the starting quarterback is at the end of the year, that Leach is going to fill up the quarterback room every year, whether it be a junior college walk-on or a grad transfer. He is going to add competition to that room every single year. So – it doesn't necessarily mean that he doesn't have faith in Will Rogers when he does that. I mean, what do we have, five more quarterbacks in the offseason? It's crazy. It's just he's trying to promote as much competition as potentially possible. It's the most important position on the field. Why would you ever let anybody coast? And again, not, not to suggest that Will Rogers would, but, you know, everybody should have to compete for their job every single year. Everybody. And when you have an offense that is so quarterback-centric like ours is, you need to put the best guy on the field. And, and that it means that you bring in somebody else that brings out the best in him. So, again, Leach confirms what we've all known or suspected, you know, for the better part of camp, that Will's going to be the guy. Now, what's also interesting to me about the whole Rodgers thing is that he at no point when we have interviewed him has he ever acted like he had a sense of entitlement or, hey, this is my team – or been disrespectful to any of the other guys in the quarterback room. You just never have gotten any of that at any point. When he's out there on the field, there's a lot of times, too, you know, he's the guy sometimes that will pull one of these younger guys aside and kind of talk about things, you know, kind of explain, okay, hey, here's what we're looking for there. You know, there's a lot of people out there that are somewhat insecure in their ability. You know, I would say, well, I'm not going to help that guy. You know, I'm, I'm competing against that guy. I think a true leader is a guy that wants everybody to be better because, you know, what happens if, you know, you know, God forbid Will Rogers is a breakthrough case and test positive for COVID. we got to go play a game without him. You know, Will Rogers is about Mississippi State. Will Rogers is about the team. And so he, he gets it. That's one of the things that I'll say about Will Rogers, probably above all things, is Will gets it. Nobody's bigger than the team. Nobody's bigger than the offense. Nobody's bigger than the huddle. It's let's go out there and have the best team we can have, and then the best guy wins. And the best guy gets a job. best guy competes. And I think it is apparent that that's Will Rogers. I think it's been apparent through most of camp. I know after spring, the spring game, there were some people saying, wait a minute, this thing's awfully close. I just don't know if you can draw a lot of, you know, analysis from a spring game. You know, basically, it's a glorified scrimmage. And you don't even have – it'd be one thing if you, you know, if you had your first-team offense against your, you know, second-team defense or whatever. But a lot of times you, you have this, you know, draft and you split everybody up and – there's no cohesion with the offensive line because you've got a lot of guys that aren't used to playing next to each other. It's just a different dynamic. And so a lot of times people, oh, well, Steve, you know, Abraham had the better spring game. And you know what? He did. He did have the better spring game. But he's unavailable. It's like they say, you know, the best ability is availability. That's true. Like Jake Abraham a lot. And uh, Jack Abraham, pardon me. And uh, – a lot of people have said, well, you know, maybe he'll just hang up the spikes. That's not what I'm told. I've had multiple people that said, you know what, that's just not who he is. And if that means that he has to apply for a medical hardship year and come back and compete again next year, that's what he's going to do. 
He's not going to be a guy that's just going to be like, okay, well, this is it. Let me go get a job coaching high school football somewhere. You know, Jack's a guy that really believes in himself. And so, you know, having him back, obviously, you know, would make things even better for Mississippi State. You know, we'll see how things progress. You know, there's, I mean, there's no saying, you know, hey, you get through spring next year, he may feel like, you know what, maybe my options are, are better somewhere else. I don't know. But anybody that's expecting Jack Abraham to retire from football is, uh, is probably selling the kid a little bit short. And based on everything that I have heard about him and, in, you know, recent conversations with people that know him and know the family well, tell me it is absolutely tearing him apart not to be able to be out there and compete. Not just because he loves to play the game, but he wants the team to be better. He wants to have an opportunity to get out there and make guys better. You know, people like that win in life. They really do. People like that win in life. And, and I've had, goodness, you know, probably 20, 30 messages over the course of this fall camp about Jack, you know, from people that are, you know, claim to be somewhat closely affiliated with Jack and the family. And they, they've said, you know, listen, you know, Jack came here expecting to get an, an earnest opportunity to, to win the job. And that's the only reason that he came. He wanted to have a chance to work under Mike Leach, get to know the offense, have a chance to advance his own, you know, skill set and get better. It just hadn't worked out for him. But they also tell me he hadn't been bitter about anything. You know, he understands. I mean, it, it kind of is what it is. It's nobody's fault. It's just one of those crazy freak things that happened. And sadly, he's the only one having to deal with it. You know, the rest of that story, too, is, you know, Mississippi State is somewhat diminished by the fact that you don't have a quality quarterback uh, competing with your starter to kind of elevate the team and make them better. So we'll see how things progress. But, uh, again, a surprise to nobody, but uh, Will Rogers is going to be the starter next week against Louisiana Tech. So offensive line-wise, I think I have shared some of this with you guys. I don't know that I have given you the names. You know, we have talked many times about, you know, how many offensive linemen do you get to play? You know, it's not quite as simple as, okay, we have a first team and a second team. You know, there are a lot of guys out there that are kind of, you know, the second guard or or the third tackle, and they kind of plug and play as needed. I mean, it's like you you don't change the whole unit out if somebody gets, you know, rolled up and needs to come out for a couple plays. And so, as I understand it, and let's just call this an educated guess, as you guys know, we're going Charles Cross at left tackle, Cam Jones at left guard, LaQuinson Sharp at center, Dollar Bill Johnson at right guard, and then Scott Lashley at right tackle. Now, the next three, from what I understand, are Nick Jones. That's an offensive tackle out of East Mississippi Community College. Showed up in January, has three years to play. Cole Smith, and I'm told Cole can play any of the interior positions. You know that he can play center. Did a good job when called upon last year when James Jackson was at center playing left guard. Cole could also play some right guard. And then there's Cordavian Suggs. You know, Cordavian Suggs, you know, is a Jackson native. We actually signed him out of Jacksonville, Florida. But, you know, he's just kind of ridden the depth chart for a while, and he hadn't done much. But he's had a good camp. And there were some people last year that wondered, you know what, I don't know if this guy's ever going to play here. We were all excited about him when we got him. You know, we had a ton of offers. But now it appears the light's coming on a little bit for him. You know, and I think that's the mark of good coaching, too, is when you can take a guy that perhaps has been down the depth chart a little bit and kind of reignite his fire to compete. That appears to be what's happened with Cordavian Suggs. Suggs obviously is a big, long, physical player that could really help us at offensive tackle. But as of now, it appears that uh, 
he's probably the fourth tackle. And then the rest of that second unit still kind of, you know, in flux a little bit. Albert Reese is a guy that can play guard or tackle. Very physical guy. And, you know, when we talk about the future of the offensive line, Albert Reese, if he stays healthy and continues to work hard, has the ability to be the next great offensive lineman behind Charles Cross. This guy is an absolute mauler. Watching him in practice, watching him in the scrimmage games, even when, you know, they're they're kind of holding up and playing playing friendly. The guy's a beast, man. He's an absolute monster. You can't move that guy. And he's only gotten bigger and stronger since he's been here. I mean, he showed up on campus as a, you know, a powerlifting champion. And then I think the, the very first workout they had, he tied for the team lead in bench press, bench press reps. Just imagine what Tyson Brown is going to do with that guy. You know, a lot of these offensive linemen show up with bad weight. And they got to get to a new playing weight, and they kind of got to transform their bodies. But when you get a guy like that, it's a little more game ready. That's exciting. Because there's a lot of guys, they start dropping weight, and they lose some muscle mass because they lose it the wrong way. And you got to build them back up. But when you've got a guy like this, that guy's going to play early in his career. He's going to play this year. Now, does he play beyond the four games? I don't know. You know, because if, if he's not going to play a lot, you want to preserve the redshirt year. But I feel really good about Reese. And, and that was the thing, too. This time last year, and Paul Jones and I talked about this at practice of the day. This time last year, nobody's even talking about Albert Reese. And then you look at it today, and he's arguably the best offensive lineman we signed in the 2021 class. And so I say that just to kind of offer a little bit and ask for a little patience. And there are going to be some names that pop up late. You know, we're going to be thinking, oh, man, we need to, I wish we had a spot for this kid. It's just like the Mikael and Pounders thing. And I want to talk a little bit about the, uh, you know, the Bryson Hurst thing a little bit. Um, listen, wish Bryson Hurst the best. Hope he goes to Ole Miss. And uh, if, if that's what he plans to follow through and do, gets his college degree, meets his wife, goes on to have a great life, and loses every egg bowl that he ever plays in. I mean, that's my earnest prayer for, about all that. But the, I had a discussion with somebody else in the media recently about this. And uh, a lot of times – I don't think a lot of our people, the optics always are bad when you have, when you lose an in-state recruiting battle. Now, the bottom line is, as I told you guys on Monday, you know, you're not going to get everybody you want. That's just not how life works. You know, especially with State and, and Ole Miss being so similar record-wise the last 20 years or so, there had just hadn't been a lot of separation. And we've had some opportunities to kind of pull away from them, and we've neglected those opportunities. I think Dan Mullen a couple times had a chance to really put his foot on their throat and let them get up, you know. So, you know, as long as you have an in-state rival like that, I mean, it happens to Alabama and Auburn too. I mean, just, I mean, look at what happens over there with you know, Gus Malzahn. You know, Auburn's still got good football players. But, you know, you're dealing with the greatest dynasty in the history of college football, and yet they're still able to get some kids from Alabama. And so it's kind of the same situation here. And so the, the bigger issue comes in, it's not losing Bryson Hurst that gets you beat. It's not being able to replace him with a player of comparable, comparable value. Now, Bryson Hurst is the best offensive lineman in the state of Mississippi this year. I don't think there's any question. You know, some other people say, well, he's game ready. No, he's really not. Okay, he's, he's really not. He's, gonna, he's got some bad weight, but he is a very, very strong player with incredible hands. There's a lot of guys out there that don't have great hand strength, and they're just kind of relying on their shoulder pads a little bit, and they kind of get out there and chicken fight. Not Bryson Hurst. Bryson Hurst gets his hands on you and, and then kind of controls the encounter. Guy can really play. 
the issue comes up for us is, is if, okay, if we don't get him, who do we replace him with? Well, that kind of remains to be seen. I like the three offensive linemen we have, and I do think we'll take a junior college offensive tackle, but you've got to find another interior guy. And so who does that be? Well, we'll see. You know, this time last year, we're all kind of lamenting the loss of Cannon Boone when he committed to Virginia Tech. And then as the recruiting process kind of went forward, next thing you know, it comes back around and we get him. And Cannon Boone was one of the top guys on our board last year. And so a lot can change between now and National Signing Day. You know, I think about Aaron Brulee. You go back a few years with that, right? So Dan Mullen and his crew really wanted Miles Mason. Really wanted Miles Mason. Out of Hewitt Trustful High School there in Alabama, he had an Arkansas coach on his staff there that really kind of worked against us. And so eventually he flips to Arkansas. And then the new staff comes in, and all of a sudden, you know, our recruiting staff, who is fabulous, they say, hey, Coach, we've got to get in a linebacker. So we go back on Aaron Brule, who was who we wanted in the first place. So it's like we didn't – we lose Brule to Georgia, right? And so we go get Miles Mason. Then Miles Mason flips to Arkansas, and then we end up getting Aaron Brule, who was number one on the board at the position. And I think, I think in, in hindsight, we'd say we absolutely got the better end of that deal. In case you didn't know, Miles Mason transferred from Arkansas. He's now in Memphis or Louisiana Tech. One of those teams are going to play. But he's not in Arkansas anymore. So good job, coach. Good job. Really, really, really good job. Really good job. Worked out great for the kid, didn't it? Hope you're happy. I know that we're happy because I think we got the better player. And so I just say that. When we have a setback in recruiting, just kind of take a deep breath. I, listen, I get it. I mean, I've been dealing with the message boards all week in addition to kind of doing some, uh, you know, final little small nitpicky stuff for the book uh, publication. But it's like, you know, we kind of prepare you guys as best we can. Hey, this isn't going to go our way. And then when it does, people are like, oh, my gosh, can't believe this. Well, we've been talking about it for a couple of weeks. That doesn't make, you know, the loss of that you know, any less significant. Because at the end of the day, we all want the same things, and that's for Mississippi State to win. Some people just express it differently. And I think it helps. It took me years to learn that. You know, it's like I, I go back to those times, you know, in the you know, early 2000s. You know, if somebody ever had a descending opinion about Mississippi State, you know, they're almost just kind of swallowed up. You know, I think there's probably a pretty good balance right now. But, you know, there were in times that, you know, the only, the only conversation you have was somebody who so they were, quote, keeping it real. And then um, – you know, pushing their their own issue, you know, their own agenda. But, I mean, the bottom line is that maybe maturity just has taught me this, that all of that comes from the same place. It's like some people get all bitter and get resentful, and I, I get messages every once in a while, Steve, I don't understand why people are so negative about this. You know, it's just we all expect to win, and we hope to win, and people just express it in a different way. It doesn't mean that they're any less of a Mississippi State fan. Now, there are some people that get on my nerves, too. You know, I mean, that's just the reality of life. But if we all agree to... 
Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. About everything, it'd be awfully boring, right? I think discussion's healthy. And uh, I want to get into a couple things, too. I got some messages, too, you know, about the uh, the COVID policies and that sort of stuff. And, of course, I don't have anything to do with any of that stuff. Um, but at the end of the day, there are a lot of smart people involved here. And sometimes I'm not one of them. You know, sometimes I, mean, I think I'm smart, but I'm not involved in the process. And sometimes I don't know a lot you know, there are a lot of people out there that uh, have plenty to say, you know, on Facebook and social media, that they hear things and kind of regurgitate them. I'm just going to say this just to kind of clear the air a little bit. Listen to the experts. Listen to your doctor. Not some, you know, not somebody that's making some uh, you know, commentary piece or pushing their own agenda. Listen to your own medical people. That, that, that's my advice to you. And, and again, I, I can't tell anybody else how to live. And, and quite frankly, you probably shouldn't listen to my advice about that kind of stuff anyway. But when it comes to the COVID stuff, I want all of you guys to be here. And I tweeted something out about that yesterday. You know, we had, if you followed social Mississippi State Twitter here the last couple of days, you kind of know what I'm talking about. But there's just so much bitterness out there in the world. And, um, I just, I'm doing my best not to participate in that, but it's one of those things that, you know, it's like, you know, a guy leaves his wife to COVID and, um, you know, it's just like, we don't, some people just don't care. And, uh, I, I don't have to know you to empathize with you, you know, and, and again, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I, I just think it's best if we just kind of give people room to be humans and, and make mistakes. And, and sadly, sometimes their mistake can be fatal. And it saddens me. It really does. It really, it really, really sad. saddens me that people die, and it saddens me that people act like it's no big deal. So, but I'm going to move on from that because I don't want to get in trouble because I'll end up saying something that, uh, that I probably shouldn't. But um, take care of yourself and take care of your health. Your family wants you to be here. I want you to be here. We need every cowbell possible ringing in Davis Wade Stadium. We need to pack the left field lounge. We need to make sure that uh, as we expand Duty Noble Field, you guys get a chance to see that and watch us win another national championship. Just, we want you here. We want you on this side of the grass. And maybe I'm in the minority. I don't want any of you guys to die. I don't care who you voted for. I want you to be here. So take the steps necessary, if at all possible, to ensure you're here as long as you can be here. Because we're not done winning championships. You want to be here to celebrate that with us. I know that. I know you guys do. And we want you to be here and be a part of that. All right, so let's talk a little bit more about some of the things that, um, you know, Mike Leach had to say. I don't know if you've read this. You know, we got Zach Arnett. We had uh, Tony Hughes earlier this week. And, uh, 
it was my question Zach Arnett was answering, and I thought he gave a great answer, you know, when he talked about, you know, hey, if you're a two, there's a reason. And if, you're, if you don't like being a two, then do something about it. You know, it's kind of reminiscent of something Nick Saban said here recently, too. It's like, you know, I don't make the depth chart. You know, the best players play. The guys that come out here and perform and do a great job, they're the guys that are going to play. And Zach Arnett mentioned it. And I, th- I thought it was great. You know, he didn't um, he, he didn't reference Saban. But, you know, the mindset is the same. And I loved it. I think that's exactly what needs to be said. I mean, and not just in football, but in life. You know, it's like it's one of those things you look at and say, well, you know, if you're tired of being this, then go do something about it. I worked for a guy named uh, Brian Gahagan once, and uh, his boss was a guy named Jim Glover. And I, pro- Jim Glover, one of the smartest guys that I've ever worked for indirectly, he was the original vice president of our company. And Jim Glover came into one day, we were hanging around talking at my store, and he says, you know, whenever you get tired of it, you'll do something about it. I've never forgotten that. It's one of the, one of the most profound things I've ever heard in life. And, you know, it may not be a big deal to you guys, but it is to me. Whenever you get tired of it, you'll fix it. And so that's kind of what Zach Arnett is referencing. I really like Zach Arnett a lot. And uh, we, we have talked a little bit, you know, kind of off camera at times, too. Not only is he a great football coach, he's a great guy. But the thing that I like most about Zach as a coach is that he's always coaching. When we're sitting there watching these guys and team drills or scrimmage and you get down to the third team guys, he treats those guys just like the first team guys. The expectations are the same. Probably a little more patient with the first team guys. But it's like, hey, this is our scheme. We're going to run it right. And if you don't run it right, I'm going to get you out of here. You're going to go sit on the sidelines and watch for a while. But he never stops coaching those guys. I don't know how long he's going to be here, but I hope it's a while. I really do. And, again, I go back to the fact that John Cohen and the MSU Athletic Department signed him to that extension last year in season. So when everybody else came fishing last year, he had kind of priced himself out of the market. Pretty savvy mood by your AD there. All right, so – Let's get into here about the offensive line. I talked about it. Here's what Leach had to say about it. I think they're better. I think they're playing together better. I think collectively they have a higher sense of urgency. They're still a very young offensive line, but some are drawing on the experience they got last year. We have some pretty good reinforcements. We're not great there, but we're a work in progress. We're getting better. So I don't think they're making – I do think we're making steady progress. I think we probably have seven we could play right now. That's the head man. And the thing about that that really fires me up a little bit is Mike Leach is not a coach-speak guy. You know, he'll, he'll just tell you, oh, well, we were horrible today. We didn't do this. Quarterbacks didn't do that. DBs wouldn't make a tackle. You know, he's very matter of the fact. And so when he brings this up and he goes, hey, I think they're getting better, you know, I'm watching it myself and they look better to me and kind of my untrained eye. But then when that guy kind of validates the fact that they're looking better to him, and this is the guy that devised the scheme that gives me a lot more confidence. Because let's be honest, we feel great about our, our wide receiver group, then they're outstanding. And I'll get some comments Mike said about them shortly too. We really have improved as a group, the wide receiver. Our young running backs have matured. You know, obviously they're not, you know, proven SEC veterans yet. But they had a decent year, all things considered, last year. I mean, you lose the bell cow of that group and you basically throw two true true freshmen out there just a couple months removed from prom and say, go get them. That 10-game SEC schedule is all yours, guys. Go make it happen. 
You know, it's a different deal. But the one group I think we're all, we're kind of like, oh man, you know, it's like, yeah, we feel good about our backs. I mean, everybody's in better shape and Will's got another year of experience and he was really good down the stretch. Wide receiver groups were, oh, what about the line? That was the biggest question mark to me coming in. And so I'm cautiously optimistic about the line. I'll be honest with you, I'm a little concerned about Scott Lashley just because it's a lack of playing time. Because, I mean, think about this. Cam Jones and those guys have more playing time than Scott does. You know, and Scott's got, you know, five years into this thing now. You had the red shirt your last year due to the injury, you know, and able to come back this year. And so I'm a little concerned, you know, what's he going to do, you know, when the game speeds up a little bit. But I think the rest of those guys, I'm not, again, I'm not being negative about Scott. I'm just saying that, you know, that's the one unknown to me on the line. I think Charles Cross is the guy last year that uh, really took a step forward, got a little bit bigger and stronger. He looks great this year. And he, listen, a lot of people projecting him as a first-rounder. In order for him to be a first-rounder, he's going to have a great year, which is good for Mississippi State. If he has a year that's good enough for him to go in the first round, I think we're going to be really happy with the win-loss record when it's all said and done. Kim Jones is the guy that got out there and started at right tackle last year because of a team need. Now he's back where he belongs, on the interior. And, I, and I'm going to tell you, he is as mean as a striped snake, man. He'll get out there and fight you. And LaQuinson Sharp, probably even more so. LaQuinson Sharp is a nasty football player. Long arm guy. You know, it's like a lot of those guys, too, that have that square body type, don't have great reach. LaQuinson does. He had some low snaps in the first scrimmage. I didn't notice it nearly as much in the second. And it wasn't like it was, you know, last year at times we kind of rolled the ball back there. I didn't see any of that. Dollar Bill Johnson back where he should be. You know, and so – I think that's the main thing, too. It's like not just getting them some reps, but it's kind of figuring out where everybody belongs. That's what good coaches do. You move them around and say, okay, listen, let's try this. And so they're, they're developing some cohesion. Let's talk a little bit about these receivers. I, I, you've heard me talk about Makai Polk a lot. I think you guys are going to be talking about Makai Polk a lot, too. And you haven't seen him, obviously. You know, if you came to spring game, you saw him a little bit. But he has been really good in camp. I would venture to say, of all the wide receivers, he has probably been the most acrobatic and athletic. Like, he makes very, very difficult catches. It's almost like giving Jaden Wally, you know, another weapon to work with himself. It's because of the fact that, uh, you know, when people do decide to go man, which will be a mistake against us, they can't roll coverage to his side because I think Makai Polk is capable of beating just about anybody one-on-one. I'm excited about it. Excited about those receivers. So one of the questions that I asked him, you know, was about numbers because that was one thing Steve Spurrier told me when they got here is, you know, we're going to go out and probably sign four or five receivers the first few years to get the numbers where we want them. Mike says, not quite happy where we are numbers-wise, but we're getting there. I think it's still a work in progress. We've got more people and a little more experience. That's definitely hell. We've got a ways to go, though. Well, this is an offense, too, that is very dependent on the wide receiver. So we need those guys to step up and do a good job for us. You know, Austin Williams is a guy that's been a great leader for us. Austin had the biggest year of his career last year. More than doubled his uh, two previous years of production combined. You know, it's exciting. But I think when you begin to think about, you know, when we're at full strength, and, I, and I, again, I still expect Malik Keith to be suspended for game one. That's what I expect. And that's not – nobody's told me that. Nobody's leaked that to me, but we all saw it, okay? And you know there are going to be some suspensions, and, and he's – you know, he's public enemy number one. 
when it comes to that. You know, and so, you know, we'll see how things progress with him. But uh, I don't expect to have him in week one. Don't know anything beyond that. Just don't expect him in week one. Tulu Griffin's missed a little bit of time. But we know what that guy can do, too. We saw it in the uh, in Armed Forces Bowl. But I think when you look at Austin Williams, Makai Polk, and Jaden Wiley, I think that's enough right there to really occupy defenses. And then all of a sudden you get Malik Heath out there at full strength. It's a much different deal. I asked Mike Leach the same question that you guys had. And I thought his response was great. Everybody, everybody's like, oh, you know, Steve – What's going to happen? How are we working against drop eight? How are we working against drop eight? Now, they work against it some, you know, in drills. But they, when we go to team drill, you know, Zach Arnett and his group are running our defense. We're not going to waste practice reps running something else. That's what a scout team is for. But I asked him, you know, Coach, what about the drop eight? Because I know you guys want to hear him talk about it. And he says, I, I think some of it is experience. I think if the drop eight was some kind of magic bullet, I wouldn't be standing here right now. If anybody in America has seen more drop eight than me, I'd like to know who it is. It's just another thing you have to react to it. Up front, your five have got to whip their three. That's exactly what we want to hear. But it's also, too, it's like, you know, I mentioned last year, I think many of you have kind of felt the same way. It's like, you know, a lot of this, the struggles we had against the drop eight weren't necessarily an indictment on the air raid offense. It was an indictment on bad quarterback play. I mean, you guys remember the, you know, K.J. Costello looked completely lost against the drop eight. And listen, K.J. will be, uh, you know, an interesting question to the trivia question, an interesting answer to the trivia question, you know, who holds the SEC record in a game for passing yards? People outside of us will forget it's him. But Arkansas goes to drop eight. And what do we do? We throw a pick six to Greg Brooks to open the game, and then we're chasing the game. And then we go out to Kentucky, and we force a football over the field. Well, they have five, six interceptions. Ridiculous, you know. Then you bring Will Rogers in, and Will's never had to face that either. I mean, do you really think – I mean, do you think Will Rogers had to see a lot of drop eight at Brandon High School? No. Did they see some zone? Yeah, but it's a lot different deal. The windows are much tighter. Not to mention you got wide receivers, and I've shared this on the show before. How long do you think it's been since Mississippi State wide receivers have had to play against a drop eight until last year? You think Austin Williams did it at Ocean Springs? No. I mean, you know as well as I do, every defense that we played when Dan Mullen was here, they committed an extra safety to the box, and they played man-to-man coverage outside. That's what they did. And so nobody on the roster had ever had to deal with that. But Mike Leach has. His staff has. That's what they do. And so I think you've got to put some faith in, in Mike Leach's experiences. And Mike Leach is, a, is, is an intelligent football coach and give him the benefit of the doubt that he will have this team better prepared for that. A lot of it, too, is wide receivers don't know where to sit in his own. You've got to uncover sometimes. And all that just comes in experience and repetition. You know, we're not going to be out there just slinging it down the field and you know, we're going to have to go out there and com- commit ourselves sometimes to, you know, dinking and dunking a little bit and running the football and kind of getting them out of that zone. You know, the number one way to beat that zone is for Jaquavius Marks and for Dylan Johnson to make people pay by dropping eight. Simple as that. If they're going to drop eight, the vertical passing game is not going to be there. I mean, yeah, there'll be some, you know, you'll find some seams across the middle and things like that. You'll swing some balls out there probably work some crossing routes and kind of get some people confused. 
But you know what? When they start dropping eight, next thing you know, Jaquavius Marks is getting six yards here, seven yards there, eight yards here. We go down the field and go up a couple scores. Now all of a sudden, we got to do something to slow these guys down. You know, it's so interesting too. Like, you know, Georgia, Kirby Smart. Remember that post-game press conference? He said every time they went to man coverage, we burned them. Every time. They ran zone most of the night. But he said every time they went to man coverage, we made them pay. Go back and look at that Jaden Wally touchdown pass, and that's a three-star kid from Diaverville, Mississippi, that most people didn't even recruit, outrunning four- and five-star kids between the hedges in Athens, Georgia. So what are we going to do when we kind of figure some things out? You know, so that's the thing I think about, too, is like, you know, we have to prove that we can beat the drop eight in order to stop seeing the drop eight. And you get the best coaches in college football that are evaluating and breaking down your film. And so when people find out, hey, this works, let's do that, you have to innovate. And you know, Mike Leach doesn't need you or I to tell him, hey, coach, this didn't work. He sees it himself. It's not like they didn't run the drop eight in the Pac-12. And I laugh sometimes, too. It's like sometimes we kind of talk ourselves into a bit of a pickle. He goes, well, you know, the speed of the defense is so much faster here in the SEC. They told Urban Meyer the same thing, you know, when he brought a spread option from, from Utah to Florida. Uh, it won't work here. Linebackers, defensive ends, too fast, too athletic. You don't think USC or UCLA or Texas or Oklahoma has the same caliber of athletes that we have in the SEC? You kidding me? So let's not sit here and just say, you know, let's say, oh, well, it's not going to work because SEC linebackers are so much faster. The SEC line, the linebackers in the Pac-12 and the Big 12 are pretty fast too. Matter of fact, I'd submit to you that the uh, considering all the scoring they have to do in the Big 12, those linebackers out there are probably, probably as fast as anybody in the country. It's a score them league. But we're better on offense. I don't know that we're as good as we are on defense, but we've held our own. And I'm ready to go play a football game. I can tell you that. Absolutely excited to go play a football game here in about eight days. All right, time for today's top ten list. Brought to you by Close with Blair. And today is Blair Chandler's birthday. So happy birthday to you, Blair. Everybody that sees this show, please reach out and tell him or listen to the show. If you know Blair, tell him happy birthday. He might even try talking and giving him a birthday gift. Better yet, instead of giving him a gift, why not go ahead and reach out to Blair and say, hey, Blair, we've been thinking about refinancing our mortgage. Rates are in good shape. We want to be able to work with you on this. Or maybe you've thought about buying a house. Reach out to Blair. He's got a gift for you, too. By being a, boy, a loyal Boneyard listener, you mentioned the fact that you heard about closedblair.com on the show. He'll pay for your appraisal. That's about a $300 value. How cool is that? And it's so expensive to get these processes started. You know, it's just all, it's one thing after another. It's nice to be able to deal with a guy that's a mortgage professional. It's been in the industry for 21 years. He's seen it all, done it all. Whether it be the fixer-upper home, whether it be a second mortgage, whether it be, you know, helping you kind of get in a position to buy a home. He can get you pre-qualified. And some people are saying, you know, Steve, it's just not for me. It'll never work out for me. You don't know. Blair's a guy that's in the top 1% in the industry in closing loans. Works a fairway mortgage, not some fly-by-night you know, subprime lender. This is a, a reputable guy with a reputable com- company. Check him out today, closewithblair.com. That's B-L-A-I-R. And let me give you Blair's phone number. I think it's important that you have it. It's important to have it because Blair's going to make 
a lot of things in your life change. 601-500-2344. 601-500-2344. All right, today's top 10 list. I had, I had to break one of my own rules to make this top 10 list happen. And, you know, I, I, I traditionally have a no covers policy. But I wanted to do a female rocker. And, uh, you know, Kim Truesdale-Williams, I've known her for a while. She reached out and kind of gave me a list of some female rockers. And uh, I love it, man. I do. And so it's so difficult, though, with this particular artist because many of her biggest hits are cover songs. Now, she's got some bangers of her own, but the catalog itself is not very deep when it comes to hits. Now, that's not to say she doesn't have some good songs, but we're going with Joan Jett today. In many respects, the first lady of American rock. And she was, of course, in the punk band, the Runaways. They played all over Europe, and I guess she did some lead vocals with them, played rhythm guitar, and uh, sang a lot more vocals in the last couple of albums before she went solo. But it's interesting, you know, when you read up on Joan Jett, is that, you know, the record company gave her an advance, and they told her, hey, don't... You know, they were just trying to get our studio musicians and say, hey, you live off the advance while you write the record. And she goes, i got to have a band. And so she put a band together herself, and they became the Blackhearts, Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. So here is the top ten list. Now, again, many of these are covers. And, again, it, I stressed about this list yesterday. I, I, when I was driving to, uh, to Fulton to have my ink therapy appointment, um, I listened to Joan Jett on the way, and I was like, man, I love this song, but it's a cover. I love this song. Oh, that's a cover, too. So... Let's run through this. The John Jett Top 10. Number 10 is uh, a song off the very first album, if I'm not mistaken. It's You Don't Own Me. And it's actually a Leslie Gore cover uh, from the late 50s, early 60s, I guess. And it sounds that way, too. She's kind of rocked it up a little bit, too. But it's kind of true to the doo-wop era a little bit. But I like it. I dig it a lot. Number 9 is an original song from her, Fake Friends. We've all dealt with that, right? I don't just mean on the internet, too. A lot of people out there that uh, said to your friend, I always say, you know, if your friends don't want to see you winning, they're not your friends. If they're not supporting what you do, they're not your friends. And maybe your acquaintances, maybe people you work with, they're not your friends. I used to, I, one of the things, too, I used to always get tickled about is like, oh, well, you know, I'm my friends from work. And then you change jobs and you never hear from those friends again. They weren't your friends. They were your coworkers. All right, number, number eight, I Want You. That's another original song, too. Like that one, too. Like the guitar. I've always liked Joan Jett's tone. You know, she plays that melody maker, and so, you know, she's kind of true to that. I think that that's been kind of synonymous with her throughout her career. But her guitar tone sounds like rock and roll, like a lot of people kind of experiment and that sort of stuff. Joan Jett's very consistent. Number seven, this is a cover, too. And, and honestly, I think her version of it is – one of the better cover versions of this song, but it's Love Hurts from Nazareth. Her version of it, I, I think, is not as good as the original, but it's close. It's close. And it's interesting, too, to hear that song from a female point of view as well. Another cover, number six, Crimson and Clover. That's from Tommy James and the Shondells. I like her kind of rocked-up version of it, too, though. I, I like the guitar on it. I like her vocal on it, too. I like how it builds. I like, you know, her arrangement of it, I think, is rather interesting. Number five is another cover, and most people probably don't know this, but uh, Do You Want to Touch Me is uh, it's a Gary Glitter song. That's right, Gary Glitter. And so that was a big hit for Joan Jett, 
but I don't think most people recognize it as a cover song. Number four, this is uh, Up Your Alley, off Up Your Alley. That was probably her second most successful album today. She had two platinum albums. I Love Rock and Roll was the first one. That one went two times platinum, if I'm not mistaken. And then um, Up Your Alley also went platinum. But Little Liar. And uh, it's kind of a power ballad for her, which was kind of in vogue back then. But her version of this is really good. Like, there are a lot of these, they're a little bit sappy. I don't think this one is. It's one of my favorite Joan Jett songs, and it's also an original one. Number three, this goes back to the very beginning with her. And, and if my memory serves me correct, I think I think this was kind of one of those fragmented songs that she was writing towards the end of The Runaways and then just maybe didn't finish it until she went solo, or maybe she just kept it for herself, but Bad Reputation. There, that, that song has made a, uh, a revival of sorts in recent years. You know, Ronda Rousey had that as her walkout song with the UFC. Bad Reputation, a really cool song. Number two on the list, also a cover song. Most people have no clue about that, but it is a cover song. And it's uh, I Love Rock and Roll. And it's a song by a band called The Arrows. I Love Rock and Roll, so put another diamond in a jukebox, baby. When that was when that was out, it was everywhere. There weren't a lot of female rockers back in the early 80s especially ones that came from the punk scene, like Joan Jett. So she had some cred. But when she hit the radio, it's like everybody said, hey, she's the real deal. She's a genuine article. She had credibility in the scene. And then she was part of the ES, the excuse me, the MTV explosion. And you know, she was very, very popular. And this song was a big part of that, too. It seemed like every time you turn around, like once an hour, the song was on. But number one... And I think we've all been there. And, and, if you, and if I had to do a Joan Jett list, I ha, I've got to do an original song at number one, right? Yeah, I mean, you have to. But it's I Hate Myself for Loving You. And that was co-written by Desmond Child, one of the best songwriters of this generation. But that song absolutely rips. We've all felt that way. We've all experienced those feelings. I'm in this bad relationship. Or I'm not getting what I want in this relationship. But i got to move on, but I just can't. I just can't do it. Maybe I'm a glutton for punishment. I tell you what, that song, to the production value on that album, even though that was released in the late 80s, when you turn that up in your car, it sounds like it was released yesterday. Great production value. So I hate myself for loving you. That's your Joan Jett number one. You may have a different idea. Your list would be wrong. But you can see how difficult this was. I mean, it's like there, a lot of these songs that we, that we kind of, you know, recognized Joan Jett for weren't her songs but she kind of made them her own you know you know it's like there's some people out there that you know they change the arrangement a little bit and it sounds like a new song you know I, one of my favorites like that to be honest with you is when uh, the power station with Robert Palmer and and uh, Andy Taylor redid T-Rex's Bang a Gong it sounds like a completely different song now it there are some elements that are very true to the original but by and large, it's a different song. There are a lot of them that are out there like that. And uh, I think Joan Jett did that with I Love Rock and Roll. I mean, she just simply made them better. She made a better rendition of it. So there you go. If you have ideas for a top ten list, reach out. Let me know. Got Already got Monday and Wednesday lined out. And they're going to be very, very different bands. Very different. Very different in many respects. Looking for, I can't, and to be honest with you, the band we're doing on Wednesday, I cannot believe we haven't done them yet. 
to give you a little hint, we used to play one of this band's songs regularly at Davis Wade Stadium when we tried to get the crowd all hyped up. So you can uh, kind of guess about that a little bit. So we'll do something cool on Monday. We'll come back with something completely different on Wednesday. But it'll all be cool. And uh, maybe we let Roy pick an artist for Friday. So Roy's keeping the list up. Thank Roy for all he does for us and kind of keeping all that together. If you're looking for the list, and there are a lot of you that are, you say, hey, Steve, I know you've done this one, but I can't find it. You can search Spotify at Dogmatic67. That's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C, Dogmatic67. Or you know, on Twitter, you can follow Roy, or you can just go search his Twitter and you can find those lists. I think that's Roy's probably he's most prolific is sharing those lists. He doesn't have a lot of hot takes or things like that. So if you follow him, you're not going to have your timeline kind of uh, inundated with a lot of nonsense. This is not who Roy is. So go check that out today. And again, if you have ideas, reach out and let me know. I'm happy to do them. Happy to do them. And, and it's like what's amazing to me is sometimes we'll get into the list and I think we haven't done this. Are you kidding me? We've done over 300 of these and we hadn't done this band. And so just when I think, okay, well, we're running out of bands to talk about, then one of you guys will send something and say, hey, Steve, I hadn't heard you do this one. And it just blows my mind. I'm thinking, how in the world did we miss them? That's kind of how I feel about Wednesday. Let me just tell you this. We're going to rock on Wednesday. And I don't mean we're going to rock like Joan Jett. I don't mean that we're going to rock like Michael Jackson. We're going to rock the right way on Wednesday. All right, the next segment of the show brought to you by CampusBookMart.net. Longtime sponsors to this show, man. I really love Campus Bookmart. I was in there earlier this week, and our, our friend, Pam Minyard, is now working there at Campus Bookmart. How about that? Miss Pam, I've known Pam a few years now. Used to have uh, dinner with her regularly, her and her husband, Tom, uh, when we were on the road for baseball. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful people. And, uh, and I miss Tom. I do. I think about Tom a lot. And uh, so glad that I'll be able to see Miss Pam a lot more often. She has moved to Starville. Now she's working at Campus Bookmark. Go by and tell her I said hello. And I've also been corrected, too, that um, our favorite basement employee was a cheerleader and a diamond girl at Mississippi State. So I apologize for that. But go by and see Stan the Man. I went and saw him earlier this week, and he didn't have on a short sleeve shirt. Kind of threw me back a little bit. Uh, and then Miss Kathy Brown was there and the lovely, talented Susie. If you can't make it in to see them, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. They have all of my books there, too, by the way, if you're looking for that. So like if you're just in town to go by to get, buy a shirt or whatever, you can pick up a book while you're there. Campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. And that's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely Incomplete. Again, campusbookmart.net, promo code BSR. All right, so we're talking Kentucky. Uh, guys, I'm not a Kentucky fan in, in any way whatsoever. And uh, I'm not a Kentucky hater either. I am kind of a Kentucky media hater because of all this hype every single year. It just, it absolutely, it's like I, I just scratch my head. I'm, I, w- I would say it drives me crazy, but it doesn't. I don't care enough to get crazy about it. But it's like, dude, what are you talking about? What are you, what, what are you talking about? It, it, it just get so flustered, as you can tell. So let me give you this here real quick, okay? Last year, Kentucky went four and six in a regular season. They did not have a quality win in the regular season. 
anybody that had a pulse of a defense kept them from scoring. They lose at Auburn, 29-13. They lose a barn burner to Ole Miss, 42-41. You may recall that one. Again, anybody with a defense with a pulse slowed them down. Uh, they beat us 24-2. Now, I don't know if you remember this. They were awful in that game. We gave the game away. We absolutely gave the game away. And so there was a uh, – we, we threw a pick six in the game. We threw another another interception that set up a touchdown. You know, Javante Payton chased the guy down uh, to make it a little bit um, – at least make him earn it. But, you know, looking at the team numbers here, and I shared this on Gene's page a couple days ago about how great we played defensively. Most of the teams that we played last year – even in games that we got beat, you know, defensively we held teams well beneath their average. We held Kentucky to the second lowest offensive output of their season. They had 157 yards of offense. That's right, 157 yards of offense. And you know what's crazy about that is most of that came on one play. It's, in, it's incredible. It is absolutely incredible to think, how in the world do we lose this game? Well, we lost it due to turnovers. We gave the game away. Awful. Absolutely awful for us. There's no question about it. That wasn't a good Kentucky team. We went up there and blew it. Stupid, man. And so then, then they go to Tennessee and they get shelled 34-7. to And I'll be honest with you, after as poorly as we played, I thought that Kentucky defense was going to be a little bit better than they were. They weren't. Then they go to Missouri and lose 20 to 10 to Mizzou. Then they lose to Georgia 14 to 3. Georgia couldn't get out of their own way. Then they beat Vanderbilt 38-35. Again, the only people allowed them to score are people that didn't play defense. Alabama 63 to 3 winners. Florida 34 to 10. They beat South Carolina 41 to 18. And then they won their bowl game against NC State, ironically. So, again, it's a four and six regular season. And you look, look through the schedule here and you just begin to ask yourself, what quality wins do they have? And the answer to the question, zero. They don't have a single solid quality SEC win. South Carolina, of course, fired a coach last year. Right? So, you lose that guy. You beat Vanderbilt. They fired their coach. Didn't win a game last year. You know, and so I just run through these numbers here, and I just ask myself, where is the hype coming from? And I think I, I misspoke earlier. They beat they beat Tennessee, thirty four seven. That's their other win. Tennessee, in case you didn't know, also fired a coach last year. So three of the four teams they beat in the regular season fired their coach at the end of the year. So, again, not a quality win anywhere on the schedule. And then, on top of that, they've had a bunch of defections, and they've had a bunch of transfers, and they've had some guys go pro. And that's what kind of blows my mind about this. It's like, okay, they didn't beat a single quality team last year in the regular season. And NC State, that's a decent win. I'm not going not gonna to begrudge that. But they're going to have a basically completely redo – the offense, you know, they they fired Eddie Grand, longtime guy there, and hired Liam Cohen from the Rams to implement a new system. And so, 
it's crazy when you look at all this stuff. So, okay, you got a brand new system with a brand new coach, and then you've got, you know, the Penn State transfer uh, will, uh, I guess that's Levis, that's going to be expected to be the starting job, expected to win a starting job. So we got a new scheme with a new quarterback from Penn State. Sound familiar? Does to me too. It's just amazing to me. Oh, well, they're going to win 10 games. They're going Okay. All right. So Terry Wilson left, and which is a sh- anybody that paid attention. And, and listen, you know, best of luck to Terry Wilson. He is not an SEC quarterback. I would submit to you he is the worst starting quarterback in the SEC the last couple of years. Now he didn't, you know, you know, he didn't start himself. But the guy's awful. Can't read defenses. Makes bad decisions. And uh, now he is the uh, starting quarterback in New Mexico. But best of luck out there. Maybe he can make some plays out there. He's a guy, too, that probably needs to be in more of a Dan Mullen zone read type offense. Joey Gatewood transfers again. Former Auburn signee. Transferred to Kentucky. Played a little bit last year. He's transferred, too. And so now you're going to get a brand-new starter again. It's, again, it just kind of blows my mind where this optimism comes from. So Josh Ali is a dude. Uh, really like him a lot. I think he is their best offensive player. He might be their best all-around player. But he didn't find the end zone much last year either. You know, looking at Josh's numbers last year, played in all 11 games, led the team with 54 catches, 473 yards, and then one touchdown. Guys, here, here's the rest of this story. That They didn't have a single other receiver catch more than 16 passes. On the whole team. Keaton Upshaw had 16. He's gone. I think Demarcus Harris is back. 14 catches. I mean, it's like you had a handful of guys that had double-digit catches, but, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't get it down with a forward pass. And so you've got, outside of Josh Ali, who struggles to find the end zone, you've got a group of wide receivers that is largely unproven. There's no question about it. And you don't have a single quarterback returning. I guess Bo Allen threw a couple passes for him last year in relief. So you've completely overhauled the quarterback room. you got this group of unproven receivers, and then the offensive line is, uh, is having to be rebuilt. you got a couple building blocks out there that return. But uh, by and large, this is a brand-new offense. Absolutely brand-new offense in every aspect. Every aspect of the deal. And it's uh, it's like, people, well, you know, we've got a revamped offense. You know, there's going to be some growing pains with that. There's no question about that. It's going to be a lot of growing pains. And there's just not a lot of depth on this team at all. Looking at the um, defensive side of the football here, too, they lost a ton on defense. Seven starters. So, again, we have a rebuilt offense. And then we got to replace seven starters on defense. And we're going to win 10 games. Maybe we should start calling whoever predicted that Rose Bowl. Right? It just didn't make a lot of sense to me. Now, running through these, uh, I got all my notes up here too, so I'm just trying to get caught up here. But, uh, you know, you look at this defensive line group, um, you know, they've got, you know, DeAndre Square is a guy that can really play. And he's going to have to be the leader on that defense. Um, 
Marquand McCall is a guy that's going to have to be the guy up front. They they think that he can be you know, kind of the centerpiece of that, that, that front up there. But we'll see. You know, it's like they got Justin Rogers, a guy that, that signed with them a couple years ago. They were expecting big things from him. You know, he's going to have to kind of take on. Uh, Jameen Davis is gone. They've got, you know, a couple of guys that have transferred in. You know, that linebacker group is really, really thin. Uh, J.J. Weaver also is, uh, you know, trying to get back in the mix a little bit there. But, uh, you know, uh, Jamar Watson is gone. It's a team team leader in, in tackles last year. And so they're going to have to piece this thing together in every aspect. So let's look at the schedule real quick and just kind of see what, what looks like a predictable record for them. Guys, let me just tell you this. Kentucky is going to be a good blue-collar team because that's who Stoops is. They're going to fight you hard. They don't have a lot of skill, especially on offense. And so I think they're going to struggle to score. I don't care how innovative the scheme is. When you don't have proven playmakers and you don't have a proven quarterback, it's going to take some time to get guys on the schedule. Now, by the time we play them, maybe they're playing well. And I still think they're probably a 500 or better football team. But this 10-win stuff is just ridiculous. I mean, my goodness. So they're going to open this, uh, let's see, they open next Saturday at home against UL Monroe. Well, that's a win, right? Then they host Mizzou. I think that's a loss. I mean, and we'll see how Mizzou looks in week one. I, I think that's going to be a loss. I think Mizzou is better than Kentucky. And then they'll turn around and they'll be, beat UT Chat. So they're probably 2-1 and one when they head to South Carolina. Now I don't know what South Carolina is going to look at, but you know, look like. But you know, you would think, you would think that would be a game they should be able to go out there and win. But let's see what what Shannon those guys have in store for them. But let's give Kentucky the benefit of the doubt. Let's call that a win. Let's let's say it's two and two. Now by the time we get there, I may feel differently. Then they host Florida. That's a loss. Then they host LSU. That's a loss. And so now we're two and four, just being conservative. They travel to Georgia. Now it's two and five. Then they come to Mississippi State. I'm going to go ahead and call it now. Now we're two and six. Then you host the University of Tennessee. You know, we'll see. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt there and say so they win at three and six. And they get Vanderbilt, New Mexico State. And then they end the year at uh, Louisville. So, yeah, let me run this down for you again. So a win at Yale Monroe at home. A loss to, to Missouri, a win over UT Chat. It's two and one. Uh, let's give them a road win at South Carolina, two and two. Lost to Florida, two and three. Lost to LSU, two and four. Lost to Georgia, two and five. Lost to Mississippi State, two and six. And so that's kind of what's now they'll close strong, and which will be great because like they'll beat Vanderbilt and they'll beat New Mexico State, and you know we'll see what happens in the rivalry game against Louisville. But then that'll be great for all those Kentucky media guys next year because they can say, hey, you know, we really we really close out the season strong, and they'll go win the Independence Bowl or something, you know, against, um, you know, Louisiana Tech or something, and be like, you know, they closed the season, winning three of the last four. This seems to be the year. And every year seems to be the year until we get ready to go play football games. It's amazing to me. Again, it's, it's, it's just one of those things that just kind of blows my mind a little bit that this happens every single year. Oh, yeah, Kentucky's got this. Yeah, Kentucky is just an average football program. They're basically, in many respects, the Mississippi State of the East. And we've had the better of that series for, you know, for the last 20 years. Now, we've kind of traded blows here the last few years. But 
it's just not one of these things I look at and say, you know, hey, this is a game that we should lose. Every year when the schedule comes out, I count that as a win. So let's just take a look at recent history. I don't know where you guys want to start. I mean, I, mean, I, don't, let's, I don't know. We can go, uh, you know, what, 2000? We want to go 2000? That sound good to you guys? We'll start there, okay? We will start with the year of 2000. That is, um, you know, the end, towards the end of the How Mummy era, right? So here we are, two and nine. 2001, Guy Morris takes over, two and nine. 2002, they go seven and five. So they finally get a winning season. 2003, four and eight. 2004, two and nine. 2005, three and eight. And we're in the Rich Brooks era now. They turn it around, went, up, went back to bat Music City Bowls, finished eight and five and six and seven. Win the Liberty Bowl in 08, goes seven and six. Seven and six again, Rich Brooks retires. And everybody's like, oh, it's, it's a great deal. But, you know, they're six and six, seven and five every year. But at least they were going to bowl games, right? Joker Phillips takes over, five and seven, two and ten, uh, two and ten. Excuse me, six and seven, five and seven, two and ten. Then Stoops takes over in 2013. So here is the Stoops report here, okay? Two and ten, five and seven, five and seven, seven and six, lost the ball game, seven and six, lost the ball game, ten and three and 18. And then seven and five last year, and they win the bowl game. Or excuse me, that was nineteen. And then last year they go four and six and they win the bowl game. And so, you when know, you look at the Mark Stoops era here, I mean, what is this? One, two, three. You know, he's had five, what four losing seasons in the years he's been there. You know, four losing seasons and four winning seasons. And so I just say all that to say this: there, there's just no justification for any of this hype, none whatsoever. You've got a coach that has proven to be middle of the road. You got a brand new coordinator and a brand new quarterback and an unproven, uh, you know, receiving room and uh, you know the running game itself. You know, should have a couple of good players out there, but it's just not at all. That there's nothing to look at this and say, you know what? Hey, these these guys should win ten games. And I'm not going to sit here and belabor the point, but um, I think we all kind of see exactly, you know, the same things that I see is that this is a group that. Uh, it's probably going to be, you know, a lower bowl team again, probably a Tennessee bowl team similar to Mississippi State. Matter of fact, probably the winner of the Kentucky-Mississippi State game uh, probably determines, you know, the, the bowl pairing in great detail. But anyway, that's a preview of Kentucky. I, I, I'm, again, I'm not, I'm not on the bandwagon at all. And um, I, get, I get perplexed this time of year. I think we're just so ready to see a game played – because, like, all the hype at this point in the year, it's like I, I read the other day that Jerry Palm said Mississippi State was overrated and were picked last in the West. And then he says, I didn't expect the defense to do anything, and they didn't, and we were fourth in SEC in defense. You know, it's like, can we just go play a game so you guys can – because, like, you can just tell people are really stressed and stretching for content right now. And let's be honest, too, in this clickbait world, too, don't you think the guy that wrote that Kentucky's going to go 10-2 article? You don't, you don't think he believed that, do you? He wrote it because he knew that we were going to read it and Kentucky fans were going to read it and share it on Facebook and Twitter, and then the Florida fans were going to read it and say, who in the world is this guy? Is this guy, is this guy high or something? And then Georgia fans are going to read it. And so it's a clickbait. There's no way that anybody can look at this team and say, you know what? This team's going to win 10 games. And you know what? They might do it. 
But there is no evidence at this point that would lead, lead, lead anybody down that line of thought. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by Portico. Brooks Bryan is involved with that group. Brooks Bryan's a friend. Brooks Bryan's a guy that uh, he's trying to make Starkville and Mississippi State a better place. Part of a great development group that uh, has built this great new residential development, 1.1 miles from campus, Portico. Very easy to get to. You turn off of 82 going towards campus on Highway 12. The very first right is Pat Station Road. That'll take you over Old West Point Road, and boom, there you are, Portico. That's how close you are to campus. 1.1 miles. You could run over there. And you're on the backside of campus, too, so you're kind of avoiding all of that, you know, that the, the Highway 12 glut right there as you come off campus. You're not involved in all that. You're on the backside. You're on the quiet side of campus. All your friends are going to, going to want to come stay with you when it's time for Mississippi State to play a ball game because you're going to be right there. Starville is a great place to live. I tell people all the time, even if Mississippi State wasn't here, this is where I plan to be. This is where I would always plan to be. I love it here. The people are great. You can get a two-bedroom, two-bath, four-bedroom, four-bath home, whether it be your primary residence, whether it be an investment property for you or just your home away from home whenever the Bulldogs are playing. Portico is absolutely the best option for you. I've, I've told you guys before, if I was moving to Starkville now, that's where I would move. Just because I want to be close to campus. I live out in the sticks now. I do, me and my dogs. But uh, if I had to do it over again, if that had been available, I probably would have moved there. Just because, it's, you know, it saved me a lot of time, trouble, and gas. Give Brooks a call today, 601-416-8075. Again, 601-416-8075. Make Portico your next move. All right, let's spend a little time talking about a Bulldog legend here for a little while. It's football season. So I thought maybe we'll talk, spend some time talking about a Mississippi State football great. A guy that doesn't get mentioned a lot, too. And uh, it's a shame, too. His story is rather remarkable. It's Jackie Parker. One of the greatest, most prolific quarterbacks to ever wear the maroon and white. There's absolutely no question about that. Now, here's maybe some things you didn't know. So, Jackie Parker wasn't born Jackie Parker. He was actually born, uh, you know, John Flanagan. And then when his mom got remarried, he took his uh, stepfather's last name. That's what the mom wanted. And then at a young age, Jackie nearly lost his leg. Doctors wanted to amputate the leg, but his mom refused to let that happen. It's funny how life works because that decision, because of a mother's love and her own convictions, Jackie Parker became a hero to a lot of people. Grew up in Knoxville, Tennessee. Played one year of high school football. Was named all area as a running back. Actually uh, met his wife there in high school, ended up getting married, which became an issue in his recruitment. Things were a lot different back then. It's so funny how life works. Or just sometimes you look back at stuff and you say, well, what? What? But Jackie Parker got married very young. And so a lot of people wouldn't recruit him because, number one, he only played one year high school football, but also, two that he was married. And there was a, a time there where, like, I know John Vaught and uh, I know Mississippi State, too, that they would not recruit married players because they felt like that they, you know, they couldn't really fully commit their time to the team. And so Jackie enrolled at Jones County Junior College. 
played baseball there and football, was a, an excellent contributor in both sports. He helped them win a state championship in 1952. Won a state title in football and baseball while he was there. He's now in a Jones County Junior College Hall of Fame and the National Junior College Association Hall of Fame. And so after he left Jones, he came to Mississippi State and actually originally came as a baseball player future Minnesota coach and former Mississippi State coach Murray Warmath all had the, you know, the same policy about we're not going to recruit married players. Well, Doc Patty, who was a baseball coach, he's like, you know what, we'll take him. This guy's a legit shortstop. We'll take him. So they took him. And then Jackie got an opportunity to get a contract with the Cincinnati Reds. He didn't take it. And then, of course, football was struggling. So they came, knew who he was, gave him a chance. And then everything changed. Jackie Parker was a guy that uh, quickly became the guy. And he earned it in practice. It's, uh, you know, the, like, that we're having the final scrimmage this Saturday, you know, before we go play. In the same situation, when Jackie Parker was here, he threw seven touchdowns. There was no question he had to be the starter. Played it two seasons at Mississippi State, was named the South all SEC team in 52 and 53. Was an All-American in 53. In 1952, he set an NCAA record for points scored in a season, 120 points. That was an SEC record until 1992. Think about that. A guy that nobody wanted set a record that lasted 40 years. It's pretty cool to think about. So he also has held some records that have recently been tied or broken by people you know. Most points scored in the game by a non-kicker in a season for Mississippi State, 120, back in 1952 by Jackie Parker. That was tied in 2010 by Vic Boward. So Jackie Parker, to this day, all these years later, nearly 70 years later, still holds that record. If I didn't tell you how special a player he was, I don't know what will. A record is still standing. It's incredible. Most total points responsible for in a single season, 168, because he also did the place kicking. He holds the highest career yards pass per pass attempt at 8.518. And you would think, well, this new offense, maybe that changes. Most rushing touchdowns in a single game, four. Most points scored in a single game, 29. Most points responsible for in a single game, six touchdowns, six PATs against Auburn. That's a lot. (laughs) There's some other things, too, that are really cool about him. Second most touchdowns responsible for in a single game with six against Auburn. That record was broken by Dak Prescott. He's second in single season rushing touchdowns with 16. Vic Bauer broke that in 2010 with 19. He's third all-time in career passing efficiency with 135, behind only Tyler Russell and Dak Prescott. Third in single season TDs responsible for. Tied with J.J. Johnson and John Bond for fifth in career rushing touchdowns. The only people ahead of him, Michael Davis, Vic Bauer, Dak Prescott, and Anthony Dixon. Seventh on the all-time school scoring list. After he was done at Mississippi State, 
He was drafted by two different organizations. Had the opportunity to go play for the New York Giants or for the Edmonton Eskimos. He went to the Eskimos for one reason only. Darrell Royal, former Mississippi State coach, Darrell Royal, who was his quarterback's coach, was now with the Eskimos. So he picked Canadian Football League and took less money to go play for Darrell Royal. And then shortly thereafter, Darrell Royal left. But Jackie stayed. The Giants came back and offered him a bunch more money, and he stayed. He offered him, legend has it, almost double what he was making in the CFL. Stayed because his wife liked Edmonton, Peggy. It's incredible to look at the numbers that he put up. He's in the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. He is in the Mississippi State Hall of Fame. He is in the College Football Hall of Fame. I mentioned the Junior College, the JCJC Hall of Fame. If there is a Hall of Fame around that he was a part of, that he played in any organization that he played in, he is in their Hall of Fame. That includes Edmonton and Eskimos. What's interesting, too, is like you run through all this stuff here, and, you know, he was, you know, all SEC guy. You know, he was, you know, back of the year, named all these organizations. It's phenomenal to think about these things. And so most rushing yards in a career for the Edmonton Eskimos, 4,713, Jackie Parker. It's amazing to think about that. Won the Grey Cup and was basically an institution in Edmonton. He was traded late in his career to Toronto for like five different players and some money. That's how valuable he was. He went into coaching for a while, became a general manager, basically stayed with Canadian football his entire adult life. And uh, he died in 2006 in a local Edmonton hospital to throat cancer. Um, just spent a lot of time being a dude. And it's just, you know, he won the Grey Cup three times. He was the CFL's most outstanding player three times. He was an all-star, what, nine times, eight, nine times. It's amazing to think about the things that Jackie Parker accomplished. And he's listed in one of the top 50 college, I mean, excuse me, Canadian Football League players of all time. And it makes you wonder if he had played in the NFL, what would have happened? And I'm sure there may be times in his life maybe he considered that. But it's pretty clear that he was committed to Canadian Football League and he had made a name for himself and, and built a career there. But I don't know if we talk about Jackie enough here at Mississippi State. His numbers are absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous numbers. I'm going to pull some of these up for you, too, before we move on. Jackie Parker threw for 16,476 yards in his career. Completed just over 50% of his passes, which is kind of unheard of at the time. Had 88 touchdowns, ran for 5,210 yards, and 854 attempts, and 67 rushing touchdowns. He was a dual threat before that was really even a thing. You know, a lot of other people were beginning to kind of make the move to have, uh, you know, more of the, you know, traditional type pocket passer. You know, the New York Jets had not really taken off just yet. But the bottom line was that Jackie Parker was, was a visionary in many respects. He's an incredible athlete. I think it's important, too, that we never forget our, our players like that. And that's one of the reasons that I wanted to do this segment. So maybe do a little research about Jackie Parker, and you'll find that um, there's so many people out there that have such a great respect for him. And unfortunately, you know, for Jackie, we didn't, you know, we didn't have uh, maybe the success we'd wanted during that stretch. But it wasn't his fault. 
a lot of times he you know had to turn up these big numbers because we were always playing from behind. But uh, Jackie Parker, an absolute MSU legend in the Mississippi State Hall of Fame and the Mississippi Sports Hall of Fame. Again, as I mentioned, if there is a Hall of Fame out there, Jackie Parker is in it. All right, let's get ready to get out of here. Again, as I share with you guys, uh, eager to see some college football tomorrow. And so, giving you guys a little time frame on the book, many of you have asked. I shared the cover yesterday, and uh, a lot of great response to that. And so, should be able to have a pre-order link in the next couple days. I know that I have teased that, like, for the last couple weeks. They wanted to get the cover finished first before they put it out there. And so, they're working on it now. So, hopefully, we'll have that this weekend for you, if not first of the week. I'm pushing. I'm pushing. Uh, but, you know, I've got a couple of things I've got left to do before they send it off to print. You know, you've got to update the bio and write the acknowledgments, that sort of stuff. It doesn't take long, but it's just a little nitpicky stuff that kind of hangs over your head. But, uh, again, we had hoped to have this thing out for you guys late October. It's looking more like early to mid-November. So, you know, we, we want to get it out as quickly as possible, too. We want it to be right. But also with all the supply chain kind of choking up around us the printer has advised us that instead of it being four to six weeks it's going to be six to eight so we're just i'm just trying to prepare you guys too so when you pre-order it's not going to be you're not going to get it until it's ready because like there's some people last time they pre-order and like a week later like hey where's my book well you're pre-ordering to make sure that you get a copy and again i can't promise you what's going to happen when these stores hit bookstores because i've already got bookstores telling me they're already putting together you know kind of a, a tentative list of some of their customers that want to get the book and so i'm just going to encourage you when we put the link out there it'll be dogpiledabook.com you can go there and you can pre-order and have it shipped directly to your home you can get signed personalized copies whatever you want and while you're there you can buy the other books too so all the you know alpha dogs the book all that's going to be there together so you can get personalized copies of flim flam stark villains and alpha dogs right now and then get Dogpile when it's released uh, here in a couple months. But uh, I'm ready to get it done. I'm eager, eager for you guys to have it in your hands, and I hope it's something that uh, that you'll treasure from from now on. I uh, really worked hard on this and uh, really excited, obviously, uh, to get it out to you guys too. But um, this is a moment in time too that we've all celebrated together. And I went back. I've, I've watched those games countless times, and when I was getting right into those chapters, I'd pull up the game, I'd watch certain points to make sure I didn't miss anything. And it's like it's just sometimes I just think to myself, man, I can't wait to get back to Omaha. I can't wait. I mean, just seeing the stadium itself kind of brings me back to the excitement that we all shared and experienced ourselves. And I'll never forget leaving my son to go back up to the press box. And that was a moment that I'll always cherish is being able to be down there with him and his wife and his daughter for the ninth inning and I didn't tell him that I was going to do it and about halfway through the ball game he texted me he goes hey why don't you come down for the night well as soon as I got in the car to drive to Omaha I'd already decided if we win this thing I'm going to spend the ninth inning with my son and so when I walked back up the steps to go back up and get to work the euphoria and just the unabashed enthusiasm in that concourse was unlike anything that I've seen I mean, it's like something you go back and, you know, you see in movies. But, you know, peep strangers were running up, embracing each other and high-fiving. And, you know, it was uh, – it was. I wish I would have videoed it, to be honest with you, because it was unlike anything that I have seen at a Mississippi State sporting event. Of course, we'd never won an AFL championship before. And even though it was somewhat anticlimactic, the fact that, you know, the game was basically over before the game was over, I think it gave us some time to kind of build a little bit. And I think just the, the release of the moment – 
was something we all had. I, th- I think in many ways, you know, some old wounds got healed. And so I'm excited to, um, to experience some of that again. You know, I'll be touring extensively, you know, the rest of the year. Once, we, once the book is released, I mean, as soon as it's out, I'm going to be on the road. I'm going to be doing some dates before that, too, in advance of the book coming out. And um, so if you need other stuff, you'll be able to get that, you know, when we're out and about. If you're looking for Blooms of Oleander, of course, you can, you can order today at Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com, BooksAmillion.com, whatever your book vendor of choice is. But uh, your local bookstore can also get it. If you like personalized copies of that, you can get it through Book Martin Cafe. Signed copies at Turn Row and Lemuria Books. But, uh, I mean, listen, I'm excited about football, but there's a part of me, too. There's a part of me that's still in Omaha. You know, because it's like, I, I just don't know if we can get over it. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but it's like to finally get up the mountain and finally see Mississippi State you know, plant a flag up there is uh, something we've all hoped for. And at times it seemed like an impossible dream for us, but it finally came true. And it's been my joy to write this book, and I absolutely cannot wait for you guys, you know, to have it. Ran into some people involved in Mississippi State baseball here as of late and said that, you know, basically the conversations are already kind of beginning to take place. It's like, hey, we we got to start getting back to work. You know, as great as it was, we got to start getting back to work. And, um, you know, it, it'll be – you know, fall baseball here before you know it. You know, we'll be rolling through that, going out there for scrimmages. And uh, I'm eager to see how what they're going to allow us to do this year. You know, our families love to come, and it's been uh, it's been somewhat inhibited, you know, because they haven't been able to come and watch the, their kids uh, in the scrimmages. And so hopefully that, that'll change. But, um, you know, we got to keep the student-athletes safe. And um, I think we can do it again. I mean, I know, I know that I'm, you know, kind of talking on a turn here, but I don't know if we can do it this year, but I think we can go chase that thing, and uh, I think we can make somebody else have to really earn it. I think we're going to be really good in baseball this year. I don't, I don't think there's any question. I know it gets it, – when you get there and you get all excited about it and you get caught up in the moment, you know, you think, hey, now that we've done it, let's do it again. I honestly think, we, you know, if we can find a little bit of leadership along the way, I think we've got a chance to be back in Omaha again for the fourth consecutive year. And then – We'll see about matchups once we get there. But I do think we're capable of chasing a top eight national seed again this year. And I think we're certainly capable of uh, getting back to Omaha. And, of course, that kind of works hand in hand. We just got to be able to handle our business in a regular season. As we've learned, the SEC tournament doesn't mean a whole lot. But we need to make sure we handle our business and then uh, ensure that our body of work is, supports us getting a top eight national seed. And, and then we'll go from there. You know, being able to play in our ballpark makes all the difference. But – Speaking of playing in our park, we're getting ready to do it at Davis Wade Stadium. And so look forward to seeing you guys then. It'll be like a family reunion. Looking forward to it. Can't wait to get out there. I know you guys are excited about that as well. We love it when you come to town. And let me go ahead and prepare you for this too. In and around Humphrey Coliseum, they're already working on kind of the infrastructure beneath the ground, all the electrical stuff and that, you know, all that stuff's being handled now. And so I don't know if it's all going to be finished by next week. And so if you're one of those people that has to park in that area, just be mindful of that when you get ready to go. And let me encourage you, as always, have a pretty good idea where you're going uh, because it's going to be a lot of bottlenecks. Get here early. We've got all day to kind of hang out before the uh, the ball game starts. But, you know, the sooner you get to campus, the better. There will always be uh, some issues getting in and out of the stadium. And so I encourage you. Uh, to be early with that. And, again, at this point, not hearing anything about proof of vaccination. And, matter of fact, at this point, I don't expect that to happen. 
I don't expect that to happen, at least for game one. I don't think you're going to have to you know, have proof of negative tests or anything like that. I think next week you're going to show up, scan your tickets, and you're going to go find your seat. That's what I expect to happen. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.